What's up, everyone? I'm Chad Grills. I am CEO of The Mission. This is The Mission Daily, your number one source for accelerated learning. I'm joined by Ian Faison, our CCO. What's going on, my man? Not much. It's another gorgeous day in Palo Alto, sunny California. Doing well. You know, today we have a very exciting episode, one that is covering a book and a topic that are near and dear to our hearts. We're pretty excited. Pretty excited to talk about it. Do you kind of want to give a little teaser about what they're going to get this episode? Yeah. So this episode is going to set you up to fight for cultural trends that are really, really negative. And as we go through each of these trends, you're probably going to recognize instances or times in your own life where your goals, your aspiration, your vision ran up against one of these really, really negative trends. And at a certain point, you're going to have to fight them if you want to accomplish whatever it is that you want to accomplish. So the framework of this idea is in a book called Zero to One, which I think I'd say a lot of our audience at the mission have read. Probably a lot of people are think they're familiar with it, or maybe they are really familiar with it, or maybe they're experts. But this topic specifically is something that we think a lot of people either missed or did not kind of look into. So I've not heard anyone talk about not just this specific section of the book, but then dive into why it matters and then how to actually fight these negative things that the author, Peter Thiel, points out. Okay, so let's get into what is the book? How did Peter write this? And sure. like, what are we talking about with, uh, with Zero to One in general? And then we'll go into the four cultural trends. So Zero to One is, the subtitle of the book is Notes on Startups or How to Build the Future. So it's not a book that is all about technology or business or startups. Most people think that it is. And at a first glance, on a first pass, or just your first reading of it, it appears that way. But on a deeper level, this is a book about life, how to win, how to survive, uh, and how to make the most of it and have fun. And the really cool thing about this book is we talked in a previous episode about Nassim Taleb and Skin in the Game. And he's a big advocate that you shouldn't read any books that are written by people who don't do for a living. And so Peter is a guy that does for a living. So he has created and started two multi-billion dollar companies, uh, several different multi-billion dollar hedge funds. And for those of you who know what he does in like his philanthropic efforts and things like that, you'll know that he's uh, really passionate about doing good things in the world. So not only is this person doing stuff in the world, they are taking a small break to step back, write about it. And in the case of this book, it actually started as a course, CS183, which was taught right down the road at Stanford. And then it evolved from that course into the full-fledged, amazing book that it is today. One of the things that I find especially fascinating about this book and Hard Thing About Hard Things and a few of these other modern seminal pieces is it wasn't that long ago. I think yeah. it was only written like 2011 or something like that. Yep. I mean, it's, it's, it's relatively new. Um, and specifically this idea of four cultural trends that you have to fight is a unique thing to be talking about today on the podcast because, like we said, just a lot of people haven't, haven't really thought about it this way. And so here's the quote where Peter gets ready to lay out these trends, and he says, so why is progress slowing down, and why don't people believe in secrets anymore? Along with the fact that the natural and the physical frontiers have receded, there are four social trends that have conspired to root out our belief in secrets. So when Peter says social trends, he's talking about culture, behavior that people engage in in a sometimes unconscious or conscious way where if you just mimic this behavior, it's much easier to get along with larger and larger groups of people. However, these trends 
really crush down that innovative entrepreneurial spirit that so many of us have and that so many listeners have. So it's not just secrets that have slowed down, but progress in general. And we'll talk in another episode about there's a lot of, there's a really good case to be made that the number of new patents is uh, falling at a really rapid rate, but that's a different topic, different subject uh, and subject for a lot of different like interpretations. But the point is we need new things, new people, uh, new discoveries, and we need them more than ever before. The first cultural trend that you'll notice everywhere is incrementalism. So from the book, from an early age, we are taught that the right way to do things is to proceed one very small step at a time, day by day, grade by grade. If you overachieve and end up learning something that's not on the test, you won't receive full credit for it. But in exchange for doing exactly what's asked of you and for doing it just a bit better than your peers, you'll get an A. This process extends all the way through the tenure track, which is why academics usually chase large numbers of trivial publications instead of new frontiers. So what is, uh, like, what is he talking about with this kind of like idea? Because I think I, I sort of get the what he's saying with doing what you need or doing exactly what is asked of you sure. will get you... Uh, in A, but how, how do we identify this like in our, in our lives or how do we de- identify it around us? Yeah, I think that, so if you notice, uh, pick out any aspiration that you've ever had. And when you are brave enough to talk about it publicly, what happens is that most people will be pressured by whether real or imaginary forces to present their idea in a watered down incremental version they will want to talk about the next trivial small step that they feel like the person around them or the person that they're talking to is going to either believe or think is uh, doable or uh, basically is just not going to ruffle any feathers. And as long as you're doing things in a way that's incremental, you're going to get approval from everyone. So if you're doing things where it's like, okay, I will do this today and then tomorrow I'll be able to do this this new thing. The typical response you're going to get from a lot of people is like, well, things don't change or some stupid platitude like that, where most people just think that the only way is to, you know, next year you're making 4% more and at least it's more than inflation. Chad, I have a question for you. Did you ever yeah. have a kindergarten buddy? Uh, no, my, the only memories that are coming to mind are being, uh, the teacher getting really mad because I was just drawing Ninja Turtles and she wanted me to draw something new, but. Okay. So when I was in fifth grade, I had a kindergarten buddy. His name was Wes. Um, shout out Wes, wherever you are in this world, smart kid. And so you're, you're supposed to like teach your kindergarten buddy something new. And Wes had a three letter name like mine. My name is Ian. And I taught him to write Wes in cursive. And the, that was nice of you. thank you. Uh, and the teacher got mad at me because they're like, well, they're not learning cursive yet. So this isn't helpful. And like that, that is kind of how I view. That's the perfect perfect example of when you first get trained to not do anything that's novel, new, insightful. Because, and I think in like, right in our educational system, um, and not that this is like, uh, it's not not a tirade against the Yeah, no, but but it's the idea that like, if you were to learn like AP biology as a seventh grader, like there's no, you don't get any x-rays for that, even though that that's exceptional, you don't. And then what you see is you see people that end up going like skipping grades and doing all that sort of stuff. Sure. And then they're in college when they're like 15 and that has all sorts of other downsides and upsides or however you want to view that. But the idea, I think that how to look in incrementalism is that if you're doing something that's really great, that the people around you, that it's so far above that you don't get any credit for that, 
That's that's pretty crazy because like you're you're so much farther along. So how do we how do we overcome that? I think choosing your battles is really really important because there are so many people that dogmatically worship the imaginary progress, you know, progressive track of like doing a little bit more or at least things aren't worse or I don't want to get my hopes up, I don't want to be let down. You're not going to be able to reason or inspire or get those people on board with the fact that all the best things in the world they don't follow incremental linear improvement. They follow exponential curves. They are one of a kind. And as Peter keeps going back to again and again in the book, that every moment in business happens only once. Well, every moment in your own life happens only once. And there, if you believe that it's possible for a moment to happen where you achieve something that is a hundred times more than what you thought was possible, chances are you might be able to do it. Or maybe your mind starts picking up and noticing on new trends, new opportunities that are going to help you, you know, break out and become one of the power laws in whatever, you know, industry or whatever uh, endeavor you're yeah, trying to chase. So one of my friends was a recruiter and she was managing two requisitions um, that would kind of like always came up were the two hardest to fill. Um, any ideas for what they were? Combat arms? No, 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 not, not military recruiter, not oh, oh, like civilian recruiter, my bad. corporate recruiter. Um, no. Okay. I mean. So the first one was for like an admin assistant or an EA. And the reason why is because she would get literally like thousands of people applied because she's like, everyone thinks that they could do that job, mm. which is funny. And then the job was that was other, the other job that was really hard was like an SVP role. And she was like, months, we'd have nobody apply. And it was the idea that it was like all of these people out of the thousand people that like none of them had the courage to apply for the SVP position, but they would all apply for these like EA roles. Yeah. And it's kind of like one of those things like you don't like in society. Never could make the jump to the SVP position. But you probably could. Like you you honestly probably could. Especially if they like reached out and just asked, hey, what do I need to do to get this thing I want? Yeah, totally. It's and like, I, I mean, it's, it's, that's such a taboo thing because again, we're trained to not offend anybody and yeah. But, and society, a lot of time is made up of like, especially with careers that you, you know, you ask for the 5% raise or the 5% raise or the 5% raise rather than I think what Peter is saying, which is like, don't ask, don't go for a 5% raise, like, uh, overcome this and like, go create something amazing that can get you a, you know, 100 X raise, uh, in, in and the, the wonderful thing about like business or entrepreneurial companies is they're going to recognize that they're going to realize like if you are bringing in more value, you know, three X, four X of what you're being paid, you're going to get paid more. It's going to be way more than 5%. But the thing is, you just have to do the deed first. So create the value first or get a plan together that other people can get really excited about. And that's the thing that plans that are not incremental, that are wildly large, they have the potential to a- attract uh, great recruits and great talent because the best talent doesn't want to work on incremental no, that's, <laughs> projects yeah. and for good reason. Before we get into the second cultural trend, let's give a quick shout out to Audible, the presenting sponsor of the Mission Daily. Audible has been an amazing launch sponsor for the Mission Daily. And the really cool thing about uh, Audible is you can go to audible.com slash the mission to get a free audiobook. So we're talking about zero to one notes on startups or how to build the future and you can get that audiobook for free when you go to audible.com slash the mission or text the mission to 500-500. And when you do, get to pick out a free audiobook. 
Uh, if you don't use that credit for a while, that credit rolls over and you can use it next month. So when I first read Zero to One, I was on a plane and I was, you know, like you get to the point where you have to like put your devices away and all that sort of stuff. And so I couldn't, I could like, couldn't have it out anymore. And then I was like getting towards the end of the book and I was like, and it, he's like rolling by the end of the book. There's like a lot of really good stuff at the end, which I think, I feel like a lot of books don't have. Um, especially like the last page is interesting, which is again, pretty it's a unique. shorter book. So it's only 200 pages, yeah. I think, or 225, so, which is the perfect length. I think it's the audiobook then is only four hours and 50 minutes. So it's doable if like, you know, you need a book for the Sunday afternoon or a long car ride, you can listen to it in a single day. I, no, I think, and I think that I, it was over flying, flying from Pittsburgh to California that was when I read it. And it was like one of those moments where you immediately, I can't read anymore because I have to walk through the airport. And I wish that I had whisper sync and I could have just transferred it over to an audiobook, and then I could have just listened to it on the way and like in the in the lift on the way home and everything. But I didn't have it back then, and now I have an Audible sponsor membership. Yep, and I mean the amazing thing about any of these audiobooks is you can invest four and a half, four hours, and fifty minutes of your day with a multi-billionaire that didn't get rich from selling sugar water to kids. Oh my God, I said it right there. (laughs) So. These people are doing good in the world. And if you don't think Peter's doing good in the world, that's fine too. Uh, find someone who is and go spend a couple hours with them. There's no downside to it. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Audible. Um, okay, second cultural trend. So here's a quote from the book. Risk aversion is slowing way too many people down. The rest of the quote is as follows. People are scared of secrets because they are scared of being wrong. By definition, a secret hasn't been vetted by the mainstream. If your goal is to never make a mistake in your life, you shouldn't look for secrets. The prospect of being lonely, but right, dedicating your life to something that no one else believes in is already hard. The prospect of being lonely and wrong can be unbearable. I think that this is also as interesting because of the loneliness aspect of this. What, like, what do you think, what do you think Peter's really talking about here with, with risk aversion? Peter is begging the handful of people out there who do have an active imagination that hasn't been crushed by culture and evil people in society. He's, he's literally begging with them to find the others, basically. So find the other people who aren't interested in belittling you or picking or nagging at every single thing that you're doing that might be wrong. He's begging people to find the other people who are going to encourage them to take risks, make intelligent bets, uh, and generally conspire together for good. And that's, that's what this message, I think, is really about. And, and I think he, he really wants people to find secrets. Like, he, he talks yeah. a bunch in the book about how secrets are everywhere. And this was something that, like, I truly was pretty revolutionary in, my, like, my, and how it changed my way of thinking was that like, do you actually think that we solved all the problems? Do you think that we solved all the (laughs) secrets? But I think that when you look back, like, you know, at what people wrote 150 years ago, like I, people couldn't believe that. Have you ever seen the sketches of like what the future will look like from like hundred years ago? And so it's like, they have like space cars and all this crazy stuff, but they're all wearing the old time clothes. Yeah, It's like, so they, they, they knew that they thought that we'd have space cars in a hundred years, but that they'd still be wearing like corsets and all that stuff. But but it's the idea that like there are so many secrets all around us, and if you're afraid of that, um, 
And if you're if you don't want to find those things, then you're definitely not going to. And if you think that everybody out there who has found secrets is going to be sharing or discussing them publicly, you're very like you're, I'm sorry, but like you're very wrong. The most interesting stuff is going to be kept in small groups. That's how it's always been throughout all of human history. Just imagine if you really did see the future, if you could accurately see what was coming uh, dozens or hundreds of years in advance, and you were to tell someone about that. Okay, let's imagine that you were doing that at the 20th, the turn of the 20th century. You would be labeled crazy and you would be committed. You would be put into a psychiatric ward. So the only way to go, you know, against the grain, break free of that cultural trend is to find other people that are okay with discussing things that are outside the box and that might make a larger group of people feel uncomfortable. So quick examples of that, Charles Darwin and talking about evolution and all of that, that was going on in papers between academics. There's all sorts of people that were naysayers to that, but it was not like a popular mainstream thing. But originally they were talking about in small groups, the earth being, being round, not flat, all this, like those are some old school examples. And there's plenty of ones in the, the modern age, but those were, they were surrounding themselves with people who wanted to solve those, those same kind of problems. What are some actionable insights that, you know, how people can overcome risk aversion in their own lives? I think that getting mobile is really, really powerful. So whether you move across the country or uh, take a new job or decide to explore getting an Airbnb or a new place that is not permanent is a great first step to forcing yourself outside your comfort zone because then you're going to do an audit of the stuff that you have. Maybe you'll get rid of some things or decide to take a month or two long vacation, stay in some different places. Anytime you can change up the scenery, uh, I think it's really powerful to get out there and force yourself into new meetings and new encounters. So, okay, the third cultural trend is complacency. So this is from the book. Complacency is going to kill a lot of people's aspirations very early. And here's the exact quote. Social elites have the most freedom and ability to explore new thinking, but they seem to believe in secrets the least. Why search for a new secret if you can comfortably collect rents on everything that has already been done? Every fall, the deans at top law schools and business schools welcome the incoming class with the same implicit message. You got into this elite institution. Your worries are over. You're set for life. But that's probably the kind of thing that's only true if you don't believe it. So I think part of what he's trying to say here is, I mean, like, I think we all know that like complacency kills and all of that, but I think he's trying to go beyond that a little bit. Can you expand on like where he thinks that complacency is kind of like maybe overused and not, and not, um, not like explicit enough. Sure. So I think that from uh, outsiders might look at, you know, Peter, his message, his business success as a, uh, a very big indictment against maybe like the middle class or immigrants and things like that. What those people don't recognize is that uh, Peter is an immigrant. He's from an immigrant family who didn't have a lot of means at, at all. So he's somebody who literally rose through the ranks and he's pretty outspoken against social elites and one percenters, the proverbial one percent, even though everybody that lives in America is basically part of the one percent globally. Uh, But anyways, what Peter's saying is that social elites and people who have inherited their money or make a lot of their money from collecting rents from other people. So businesses where you just basically rely on the fact that the government will keep the regulations relatively the same and then you can just sit back and collect profits. uh, He's really rallying against that. And that is the type of um, culture that creates rot 
It doesn't create new things. And when everybody's looking to collect rents, everybody's looking to keep things the same. Uh, those type of people who have a very steady cash flow and where they don't have to do much work, they're not going to be too favorable about secrets or new ways of doing things. Two things. Number one, do you know where, uh, I just heard this recently, it's actually on uh, Masters of Scale, um, where Peter Thiel does his uh, deepest thinking. <laughs> Basically, it's just like alone in nature. Um, but, and then the second thing. Um, Direct experience. Can't yeah, say it enough. I know, right? Uh, go listen to episode one if you haven't trust, direct experience. Um, and number two, back to from last episode, do you know that uh, for Nassim Taleb, that he, or he was talking on a, a podcast that I was listening to recently about how in, basically in like Rome, uh, that people, basically like the family's wealth is like, there's still people who have had, are still like, like, elites because of their family's wealth sure. for like the past like hundreds, thousands, like literally a thousand years. Yeah. Whereas like in, um, I forget. Oh, and then in France, it's like been like the past couple hundred years. Whereas like in America, there's, it's actually a much less known phenomenon well, the, that people can keep wealth. The and rate that, at which people are making money and then going broke is astounding. It's like creative destruction on a, a crazy magnitude. Yeah. And so like the, like the Forbes, like whatever, 500 richest people, uh, in the U S, um, that like only like 10% have been around since like 1980. Yeah. And it's like pretty crazy. But I think that people don't think that that is necessarily true all the time. And I think that part of that is, ooh, part of it is complacency. But the <laughs> other piece is that like, we just don't believe, like we believe that like, yeah, once you get rich and you like kind of kick back and do whatever, but it's like in reality, Doesn't there's, work. yeah, there's a lot of people who are, are doing um, things to create not just wealth, but like create amazing things and innovation, which is obviously like the core of what Peter's talking about, which is like create technologies. Um, and that is the antidote to complacency. Definitely. And that brings us to the fourth cultural trend that we are going to help you fight and overcome. And that is a belief that the world is flat. And that there are billions of people at any given time who could do what you are attempting to do. So here's the quote. As globalization advances, people perceive the world as one homogenous, highly competitive marketplace. The world is flat. Given that assumption, anyone who might have had the ambition to look for a secret will first ask himself or herself, if it were possible to discover something new, wouldn't someone from the faceless global talent pool of smarter and more creative people have found it already? This voice of doubt can dissuade people from even starting to look for secrets in a world that seems too big a place for any individual to contribute something unique. With this, I think that this is kind of the, the, a little bit of the startup of you, a little bit of like, this is your own, every person, is, company is unique, every person is unique. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that this goes much, much beyond that. Describe like what he means with flatness and... And what this kind of like how people can actually like view this in the real world. Yeah. So one of the concepts that we talked about earlier is uh, relativism is something that does not exist with people. The idea that all people are relatively the same or have the same hopes and, de and desires and things like that. They may have some of the very similar, uh, you know, similar rights and similar uh, things about them that we respect and love and value. But it doesn't mean that people are similar. People are radically, radically different. And we don't give people their generally, you know, we don't give them permission to be their full selves or explore their full selves. So it's very tempting to think that everyone else in the world is the same or has had similar life experiences 
to you or the people you know. But nothing could be further from the truth. One of my favorite quotes from the book is that each person's life is a singularity. And the more you treat your life as a singularity, so a unique, priceless event in the history of the universe that will not ever happen again, uh, the more wonderful it's going to be. And while everybody in Silicon Valley is, not everybody, there's a lot of people that don't think like this, but while weirdos in Silicon Valley are out there worshiping the singularity, uh, Peter's an advocate that the singularity is already here and it's your own life if you choose to look at it that way. I think a lot of people, especially fans of the mission and our amazing audience, but I think a lot of people just like kind of struggle with like the who am I? How can I actually make a like? It feels like a splash, com- completely super overwhelming. And yeah, in a lot of ways it is, but it's just one of those things where the more you can get out and the more you can convince yourself that this is not the case, that what you have and what you are trying to bring to the table is unique and is valuable, the better. And yeah, even if at first you're faking it till you you know make it in this regard, I think it's just so important. You cannot let yourself get beat down or think that everybody else but can you, do it better. But your your life view is so different and unique from everyone else's. And it's like that piece is you are noticing things that potentially no one else is noticing. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. No. Like, I, yeah. If you notice one different thing each day or one opportunity to create more value than other people who might be in a similar position or a similar socioeconomic position, you're going to, at the end of the year, have noticed 365 different things, different new ways to add value. could be as simple as a smile or a different type of handshake that you use when you're greeting clients or whatever. The point is that stuff compounds and adds up. Okay. So let's do a quick recap of all of these. And, and I just want to go through like the thing and the way that, that we can fight them, the four, the four different pieces. So incrementalism. Doesn't exist. Linear thinking will get you crushed exponents, uh, exponential acceleration for things and power laws, look into those things because that's what rules everything around us. Second one is risk aversion. So only definitions of risks that we have are generally created by people who don't like risk. That's paraphrasing Nassim Taleb. And the point being here, don't think that things like, you know, losing some money is risky. Like that's not risky. Surviving or having something really bad happen to you that's the risk that you want to worry about. But you don't want to confuse physical danger with financial danger. Don't be scared to be wrong. Yes. Don't be scared to be wrong. Can't be important enough. We're all wrong all the time. Can't be scared of it. Third one, complacency. It's so easy to fall into this trap. It's easy to get comfortable when you do notice yourself getting too comfortable with something or collecting rents with something or you know, you're using one process that works. Try to shake it up a bit. Don't, com- don't get complacent as a spouse. Don't think that, you know, like don't get complacent as a father. Complacency is... um, Enemy of progress. Enemy of progress, yeah. Did you write that? That's a pretty good one. Uh, You might have heard that somewhere. Uh, Fourth one. So flatness, how do we fight it? There's billions of people in the world. Yes, but there are, there's no other person that has gone through what you've gone through. And there is no other person that is thinking like you're thinking. And the more that you can recognize that there are billions of even literally trillions of cells that exist in you that don't exist in anyone else, uh, the more you're going to be recognizing that the singularity is you. I love it. 
Anything else? I, I we definitely went over twenty minutes. That's for sure. So apologies we to everyone. But that's what do you think? Did you like a little bit longer of an episode? More than so. I mean, me personally, I, I liked it a little bit longer. But um, <laughs> awesome. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast, and if you can leave us a review and let us know what you like, what you didn't like, and how we can make the podcast better, we'd love to listen to you. And sometimes yeah. the app gets a little wonky, so don't be. If you need to go to desktop to leave the review, I totally understand. <laughs> Got some messages about that. It is. It's um, crazy. It's it's hard to leave a review. It's on those. it's sometimes hard to leave a review. But, or just tweet us on Twitter, the Mission HQ, and let us know what you oh, yeah. think. We love at all the, the mission, feedback. At the Mission HQ, tweet us stuff. Thanks so much. See you next time. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.